0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast. One man's musings on the works of Stephen King is what I normally say every week, but not this week, because this week is not one man musing on the works of Stephen King. It is actually two men uh, musing on the works of Stephen King, because I was incredibly fortunate uh, to be able to have an hour-long conversation with the one, the only, Dustin Thomason, Co-creator and co-showrunner of the show of the summer of 2018, Hulu's Castle Rock. That's right, guys. Listen, the next hour, um, we talk about all things Stephen King, Um we, we talk about the, the inspirations for Castle Rock, the journey to Castle Rock. Um, and we, we get into some questions that I have raised on the show that I know a lot of you fans have raised in regards to Castle Rock. I'm talking about the Polychalmers of it all. So, guys, when it comes to some concrete answers, Dustin was very, very, uh, generous in, in giving us some, uh, some concrete answers. Um, the, the conversation itself, um, it was just, it was just such a joy. And I just want to say beforehand, um, Dusty was, like I said, so generous and i i really want to thank him for his time because this is someone that is co-running like i said the the show of the summer of 2018 you know and to 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 back it up and just kind of to tell the tell the the story here um i had reached out to to dusty um last year um after the 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 teaser had dropped and um, I wound up reaching out to him and he was kind enough to write back and say, yeah, that would be great. We should do an interview. Um, let's just wait until, you know, closer until the, you know, the show comes out. This was back in the fall and then months go by and months go by. And um, then we start kind of getting some teasers. And and it, it just got to the point where I, I started seeing what the show and the product was going to be. And I thought to myself, oh, you know, this guy is going to be so busy you know, and he's going to be interviewing the big leagues, right? Like he's not going to have time to, to sit down and and talk with a podcast called the Stephen King cast. Right. You know, I mean, but no, then out of the blue, you know, right at, at, at the height of anticipation for Castle Rock, he direct messaged me and says, Hey, now that it's closer, let's, let's, you know, let's talk about, you know, doing an interview. And I just thought that that was incredible and I think that it speaks volumes of, of who he is that a he's a man of his word and he remembered you know all, all these months when he is in the middle of crafting his show that he thought to do this. So thank you Dusty if you are listening um, because that 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 just it means everything to me. And then also to to <laughs> again to show just how awesome you know he is when we I I had scheduled, you know, with his assistant, Candace, who is equally awesome. Shout out to you, Candace, if you're listening to this. Uh, We we had scheduled an original time to sit down and do this interview. And I got my time zone screwed up. And I realized, oh, my God, I wasn't ready when I said that I was going to be ready. And they just rolled with it. They were totally fine. And, um, you know, I thought that that might mean that, you know, I might have less time, you know, to talk to Dusty. But no. I mean, we had an incredible conversation, um, and I think that you guys will really enjoy it. So... We're going to talk about, like I said, all things Stephen King, the inspirations for Castle Rock, um, just the thought processes and, and what it means to, to tackle a show like this in terms of creativity, in terms of honoring Stephen King, uh, you know Dusty's uh, career journey leading to this. And like I said, we talk a lot about Alan Pangborn, we talk about casting, we talk about the polychalmers of it all. So guys, thank you for tuning in for this very special episode of the Stephen King cast. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen... Dustin Thomason. Um, so here we are with Dustin Thomason. Um, Dustin, welcome. Thank
1: you. It's nice to be on the show. Oh, I've been thanks. listening
0: for a long time. So it's, yeah, that is that is crazy. Um, and and I I really really appreciate it. Um, so before we get any further, should I call you Dustin, Dusty? You can call me Dusty. All right, Dusty. That's I don't know too many Dustys, so this is I, I will enjoy referring to you as as Dusty. <laughs> um, okay. So I was. Very, very intrigued to get a hold of you and um, speak to you for a couple of reasons. One, you are currently um, show running, you along with with your partner, um, Sam. The two of you are currently running the show of the summer of of 2018. And I just want to say congratulations for all the success, all of the buzz that has been surrounding Castle Rock since the first teaser dropped um, back in February of 2017. And um, you know, I, I can't even imagine the amount of work that has gone into it, um, but I, I do know that every week um, when it has been on my television, I have been engrossed, not just as a Stephen King fan, but just as a, as a viewer and enjoyer of, of television. The, the product that you have put out um, has been truly, truly captivating. And I think that you really topped yourself so far with um, episode four, which blew me away. Um, that was an incredible uh, uh, episode of television. So just congratulations Thank on you. all of the work. It's
1: very, very kind of you. You know, yeah, it's it's been a, a wild and wonderful uh, ride, you know, uh, getting to do this thing in a world that Sam and I have loved for so long and as fans have sort of um adulated and emulated and 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 to have the opportunity to be able to write about characters that i know you love and that we love and and settings that Stephen created um some many many decades ago and and to sort of dip in those waters uh after having grown up on them uh is really an amazing experience um so thank you and and it, it, it has been a lot of work but but uh but it's been been fun along the way, and and um, and that's that's all you can hope for.
0: Um, so you you mentioned um, Stephen King having been a part of your life for you know over the decades. So how did that first begin? How did you first find yourself gravitating towards Stephen King? Um, and, and what part did he play uh, in your life as a storyteller before it, it? you arrived at a point in your life where you're actually, you know, working with characters and, and worlds that, that he has created?
1: You know, I've heard it said a lot that there's um, kind of a, a whole generation of kids who uh, became readers on the coattails of J.K. Rowling mm-hmm. and sort of um, were inspired to to delve into books in a way that they weren't before when they read the Harry Potter series. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm a, a little older than the Harry Potter series. Um, yeah. but, but I think for me and I think for a lot of, um, my friends of my age, Stephen King was really the JK Rowling of that time in a way, you know, I, I wasn't a, a particularly devout reader. I wasn't one of those kids who at you know, eight or nine years old can't be ripped away from their books. And so I think that really the discovery of King and the, even the notion that I could make it through a book that was more than uh, 300 pages mm-hmm. was, was really a transformative experience for me. And, and part of that I think came from the mix um, as you've talked about a lot on your show, this incredible mix of um, a story rooted in, in genre a, a sort of a thrilling and exciting story that felt like it had a big hold on the imagination but also amazing character development and i think there it was just it was a combination that was incredibly alluring for teenage me and one that sort of allowed me to start to see the value not only of um of genre and of Stephen King, but also of books in general. Um, I think that, that without Stephen King, I probably wouldn't have become a writer. And, and certainly in every, um, conversation and collaboration I've ever had, Stephen King played a really big role. Um, I started as a, as a novelist was sort of my entry into, into writing and, um, my partner who I wrote the first book with my first book with, um, Ian Caldwell, he and I spent a ton of time actually talking about Shawshank, talking about the body. Um, there's that line in, uh, in the body and also so memorably in the movie when Richard Dreyfuss says it, when he says, um, um, I never had friends again, like I did when I was 12, Jesus does anyone. Yeah. You know, and I think that that in a way, um, the the first book that I I wrote um, with Ian, my childhood friend, was really kind of uh, inspired by by his work, by Stephen's work, and and in particular by that line. Um, in a way, we we, be, we we set about the task of of becoming writers. Ian and I did um, when we were young. Uh, I think partially just as a rekindling of our friendship. Um, Mm -hmm. and this was, this was, um, before I had any designs on being a television writer. And so, um, I think that sort of thinking about Stephen King's version of friendship, uh, had this kind of, um, romantic glow to it, uh, that, that was appealing to both younger me when I was in my teen years. And then, and then even as I got into my twenties, as I started to think about what I wanted to be when I grew up.
0: So, um, how do you take the leap from engaging with the the written works of Stephen King and and other writers? How Because so many of us, uh, we, We we receive the information. We receive the stories. We we embrace them. We look forward to new Stephen King books. We love the creativity, but we don't have necessarily the bravery to uh, go out and start creating new and original content. So you said that uh, you um, you know wrote a novel. How does how did you go about taking that leap from receiving? original content to creating original content and how do you go from that to writing a novel to working in um in the world of television ultimately to the point where you and 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 sam are running a jj abrams produced uh television show set within the world of stephen king how does how does that happen because that is a that's a cinderella story for so many uh stephen king fans out there um yeah, I mean, it's very nice of you to say. I mean, I think I
1: think that we, you know, it's funny. Sam and I uh, have been collaborating for a long time. Um, we've known each other since we were um, nineteen, uh, and and we've been talking about books and movies and television um, for a long time, and 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 have shared a kind of mutual appreciation society uh, for the great TV of the you know of the sort of. Uh, the new golden age of television, you know, from Sopranos episodes to, um, to everything in between. And, and I think that, that we had always had Stephen King as a part of that conversation, um, as a, as a sort of bedrock of, of some of the stories that we were each doing individually and, and ultimately together. Um, you know, I sort of started my television career working in, um, what was, very fashionable at the time. And I suppose will always be fashionable, which is network procedurals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and honestly it was, it was a bit of a, of a lark in a way I had, um, I had started with books and, and, um, and had another friend who, um, sometimes actually Sam and I both collaborate with who sort of s- sent me the, um, the, what the, the Mankiewicz telegram, as it's called, um, where, where somebody calls you from California and tells you to come for the, for the, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's lots of opportunity. Okay. Um, and so, you know, it, it was, it was honestly, uh, I had always loved TV and I had always loved movies and, and, and of course books, but, um, working in television right at that beginning of that new golden age was, um, was an incredibly thrilling kind of chance. And so I just kind of jumped into it and, um, and learned the craft on the fly. Uh, I feel like I'm still trying to figure it out, but, but whatever I have learned, um, learned on the fly and, um, and pretty quickly roped Sam in, uh, because Sam, I had always known to be the most brilliant writer that I'd ever worked with. And, and so it it was an easy, uh, an easy thing to try to convince him to, um, to explore television. And, and so together, um, Sam and I, sort of started working on some stuff, including we wrote a pilot together, um, uh, a sort of crazy time travel pilot that, okay. um, that never saw the light of day, but, um, but was a, a really fun sort of first experiment. And then, um, and then Sam went off and wrote, uh, Manhattan. So the, the, there was a show that Sam and I worked on for, um, two years between 2013 and 2015, 16, um, called Manhattan about the building of the atomic bomb. Um, which was a real labor of love of Sam's and and um, and ultimately mine and it was really a, a, a wonderful experience um, writing about a, a very strange small town like in a way Manhattan um, shares a lot of DNA with a and Los Alamos in general <laughs> shares a lot of DNA with a with a Stephen King story okay. um, it's a you know a, 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 a Tiny um, town where people are doing incredibly strange things. In the case of Los Alamos, building a weapon that could end the world. You know, it it, it sounds like a, a science fiction story, and um, and and has a lot of the strange hallmarks of secrets and um, unusual characters, and and so Stephen King was very much a part of that um, vocabulary when we were working on Manhattan as well, um, and and so. Um, in the way that these things sometimes um happen uh i had because i had always been a a huge king fan um it was something and sam had as well it was something that we we had always said well is there any is there you know could we ever um get to work with steven in any way how would that how might that come about and what might that be um and obviously there have been a million adaptations as as you've pointed out a lot on your show you know good bad and ugly and um and i think for us that was sort of in a way the genesis of of Castle Rock. Um, I, I, found an email that Sam had actually sent me about 10 years ago. Um, that was a, an email about essentially, um, thinking about the people who still lived in Castle Rock, thinking about a small town. Um, uh, and in particular, Stephen King's iconic small town, um, and thinking about who was left in a place like that after all of the terrible things that happened to it, you know, I mean, in a weird way to go back to Los Alamos, Los Alamos is, is a, you know, continued to be a thriving, um, you know, place of scientific progress and and people lived there for a long time and still live there and obviously a lot goes on there still but I think that its history is sort of the defining aspect of Los Alamos and I think that part of that was part of what was interesting to us was to think about Castle Rock in the context of a a place whose, you know, history in the eighties and nineties had, had come to define it and thinking about what that might look like now. And so that was actually an email that, that Sam had sent me 10 years ago before, um, there was any, any chance that we would have been able to convince either JJ or Steven that, um, that, that we should be allowed to, to play in these waters. Yeah. Um, but it was a, it was the kernel of something. And, um, and so after Manhattan, um, when we started, Sam and I started talking about ideas again, um, Sam sort of came back and said, well, what if we looked again at the idea of castle rock and, and what would that mean? And, you know, even, even obviously the concept of doing a kind of Stephen King universe and, and, you know, we'd seen Haven of course, and, and knew kind of the way that they had expanded from that, from that piece of, of the library. But, but to truly be able to do like a a full universe, um, seemed like an impossible and almost laughable, um, Attempt on our parts, to be honest. Like we, we, we figured we people might might uh, might laugh, um, but but in fact they they seemed to be laughing with us when we went to to talk to people, and that was great. I mean, we we first went to JJ, um, and because as you probably know, JJ is sort of the the Stephen King, you know, the most the most famous Stephen King super fan out there, um, and so it, you know getting to not only work with Steven, but also to do it via JJ was really, it, it definitely felt like a dream come true. Like the, 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 child in me reading it as a you know teenager and, and, and obsessing over Shawshank and, um, and over the body and over all of these stories and, and so many more books like it, it, it my heart was definitely racing at every turn. You know, it was definitely, um, a different kind of experience than, than any that I've had in television before, even though I've had some really good ones, none of them had the kind of, um, wish fulfillment, I suppose that working on this, uh, did
0: for me. That, that, that that's an amazing journey um, that, that, that's fantastic now you had mentioned uh, some of the Stephen King adaptations throughout the years the good the bad and the ugly so as someone that is um, working with uh, previous existing Stephen King works and trying to create an original work to stand on its own that that feels um, similar to something that Stephen King would do what are the aspects of Stephen King's work that stands out to you as like the the, the most integral component to what makes a great Stephen King story?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it, p- part of what we did at the very beginning was to start asking ourselves exactly that question to do a kind of um, PhD level yeah. uh, survey and study of, of the work and thinking about like what makes something, what makes a Stephen King story a Stephen King story. Um, and as you know from having gone through the entire library, the answer is that there are actually a lot, there are sort of a lot of answers to that question, you know, the, the, and not just in terms of specifics, but in terms of the, the, the tent of Stephen King is so big. And when you look at the, you know, the variability from, um, the body to the Tommy knockers, mm-hmm. right. It, it's really, I mean, not forget about sort of quality and, and quantity and all of that, but even just in terms of, in terms of genre, in terms of story structure, um, I mean, fascinating, right. That, that, and, and certainly we have a, a bit of a, you know, a bad robot inspired, um, mystery box to this season. But fascinating that Shawshank which is sort of you know up there obviously on the Mount Rushmore of mm-hmm. the stories and certainly the movies um, uh, is basically a mystery box you know it's it's one of the few Stephen King mystery box stories um and yet it's sort of masquerading as a story about freedom on the inside and friendship um and so um thinking about like well what is it that that Steve does that makes something so powerful. And I think that it, it honestly comes back to the, the sort of idea for me that, that, and we've all heard this in interviews, like that Steve could have been, uh, you know, uh, a purely literary writer if he'd wanted to, you know, if he'd chosen to just write, stories without a genre element or, or without some big high concept at the center of them, he might've been, you know, one of our, he might be John Updike instead. You know, he, he, he obviously has an incredible sense of, um, what it means to be human and what it means to be flawed as a character and, you know, can write sentences up with the best of them, Mm -hmm. um, at a, at a word for word level. Um, and so, you know, I think what, part of what we started to to feel as we went back through our our sort of great reread in preparation for the series was that the difference inevitably is I think you know very well one one thing that's really hard when you're trying to um kind of digest a Stephen King story into two hours um, or even into 10 hours is that so much of what makes Stephen King Stephen King is is character development and um, asides and filling out the kind of you know, um, archaeology of the town that he's writing about, or the place that he's writing about, and that's something that's really hard to do in a in a in a digested dramatic form. Um, and so that was something that was really important to us that we we both, you know, allowed things to breathe enough that it really felt like you were building up the kind of atmospherics that Steve does, and starting to invest in characters in the way that that um, that he makes us all invest in his characters. Um, and at the same time, obviously, giving enough, um, you know, surprising and uh, and imaginative, hopefully, and shocking turns that um, it keeps the pages turning as as, you know, we I feel like we all as Stephen King readers go go to his books for both. You know, we, we want both of those elements. Um, and so that was a, a, a real balance for us as we started to think about it. And then the other piece of it, I think, is that one thing that was important to us was we we felt like Stephen King was a very contemporary writer and as we looked through all of the books and started thinking about theme and about character, it's like is The Shining a story about a man who moves to a haunted house and and, you know uh, about mind reading or is it a story about a guy who goes crazy and torments his own family because he's trying to write a novel and can't, you know and I think that those very human horrors were something that we were really interested in and, and hope that they sort of show up throughout the first season. Um, this idea that, you know, that small towns have now been kind of devastated by economics and, and, um, and flight to the cities and changing, businesses that was something we were interested in and really felt like if Stephen King were writing about kind of Castle Rock today in 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 sort of the traditional way that that's something he would embrace as well um, and and also to thinking about prisons in a way um, in a new way you know mm-hmm. what, what would Shawshank look like now, privatization of prisons and the kind of dehumanization of that process. And so I think that was the other kind of key element for us in, in sort of the reread was, was thinking about, well, what is he really writing about in this book or this story? Like what, what element of human horror is he getting at? And, and for us, that was a big part of how we built out the first season was sort of thinking about, you know, whether it's a story of a horror story about prisons or a horror story about having demand and, um, and what that can take from you. And, and, um, and that's something we'll see more of. And as the, the season goes on, you know, um, those, those sort of central human pathoses were something that we really, we really wanted to explore and felt like we're very Kingian.
0: So I, th- th- that's fantastic answer and it it bleeds perfectly into um something that i've been thinking about now it's hard enough to be able to create a story period all right um but you are tasked with having to create a story um and you know adopt stephen king sensibilities so how do you find that balance between incorporating a stephen king feel without losing your own creative voice
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I mean, I think that any anyone who has done an adaptation of something is sort of faced with that very question. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this is a, a this is a unique situation, even in the sort of world of adaptations, because, as you say, like, I mean, I think Sam sometimes says that 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 part of the 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 biggest challenge in a way of working with as much material as we have to work with is feeling like you you go to an all you can eat buffet and you put you know you you put a little bit of everything on your plate and then suddenly it doesn't feel like a cohesive meal and you're just kind of eating a bunch of random pieces and and certainly in in even in think just thinking about the library and in thinking about the stories like how do we control the appetite uh, our own appetite to engage with the material in a way that, that doesn't become distracting and that doesn't sort of take away from the story. So I think part of the, honestly, the biggest bulwark that we tried to set up against the question that you're, you're posing was, I mean, there's a reason why Pangborn is the only really central Kingian character in season one, in the, in the beginning of season one, you know, there, there, we, we didn't, we wanted to populate the world with original characters that we could, um, that we could could create kind of in the image of Kingian characters, but that we would have control over that we would, um, you know, sort of be able to tell the story of, uh, in the way that made sense to us. And, um, and obviously Pangborn is sort of the big exception to that, to that rule. And we can talk more about, um, some of your, I I listened, I heard some of your questions about Pangborn, um, and about how we were using him, but, but I think part of what what that was a really um um, important choice for us was to uh to use the settings and the feel and the mood of king uh in this first season but not to kind of overstuff it with characters that um were already canon Mm -hmm. and and so in that way, to be able to tell our own story about, about something that we cared about, you know, and, and to be able to um, extend the universe rather than to kind of um, revisit every one of the stars that we lo- we've loved. <laughs>
0: So I, I just want to say um, in regards to Alan Pangborn, thank you for for using this particular character because I have always loved him as a character and I've always wanted to see you know the further adventures of of Alan Pangborn. Um, but not at the expense of him as a character, and that's what's great about what you're doing with Alan, uh, because we all have the image of Alan coming out of needful things, where you know he was fighting for the soul of this town, um, you know he was struggling with with his own loss, um, you know, and and he was just a, a good man trying to do right in a world that you know was changing around him, and he was just trying to remain true to who he was, and you know I've I've often said that he has been. In many ways, uh, you know, a gunslinger in the world of Castle Rock, mm-hmm. and within you know that world, and you know, there's obviously a lot of you know dream fantasies out there where you know Alan, you know, possibly meets up with Roland the gunslinger, and be, you know, so there, there's a whole avenue to explore there. Um, but what I like about Alan is that he's he is a man who doesn't seek out the supernatural. It finds its way to him and he does the best that he can to, 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 to beat back against it without losing himself. Um, and to know that Scott Glenn is now in charge of, of bringing, uh, you know, Alan Pangborn to life when, you know, you, you, had, um, you know, Ed Harris and Michael Rooker before, you know, two great heavyweights just to, to, to see Scott Glenn, you know, making him come alive. Um, it's it, it every time I see him on screen, it's it's amazing to see. Now, how did you land on Alan? At what point did you in the writer's room working with Sam when when did you say Alan is gonna be that touchstone from the previous works um over other characters? What what made Alan stand out?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that um as we started to think about the, the town itself and as we started to think about the place that we were going to find the town in our story, um, this kind of weather beaten, uh, you know, place that has experienced, uh, you know, a serial killer and the rabid dog and, um, and the, the, the devil himself, if you will, um, you know, I think that, that, but but yet people are still there all these years later, and mm-hmm. and sort of um, going on in that that feisty New England way, um, continuing on with their lives and and um, and you know having having found a a path or a way of survival in in a place like that. You know, I think part of it for us that was really interesting, um, like we we actually never considered the idea of doing young Alan Pangborn, right. You know, it, it, for us, because of the vision of the town that we had, I think that it, it was a very early and very natural, um, uh, connection for us that we felt like, Oh, here's this, you know, this wonderful and, and, um, conflicted and, uh, and, um, experienced sheriff who's kind of seen it all, and what would it be to be to be that man in his golden years? What would it be, just as kind of Castle Rock is is in some ways a a, a man in its in its golden years, right. although they're not so golden, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that in a way he represented the town to us, and that the that his aging with the town um, uh, was a really kind of interesting way to approach thinking about the people who still lived here and who had weathered it all, um, who had kind of experienced some of the battle days, um, but who had stuck it out. And, and, and that was something that was really interesting, um, to us. And then, and then another sort of big component that we loved was the idea of seeing something that you don't get to see too often on TV, which is a, you know, a a romance between two people in their golden years. And, and so this idea, um, of, of seeing a Pangborn who had, uh, experienced a lot, you know, seen a lot who had been integral into the, into the mystery itself and the question of, of Henry's disappearance, um, as a younger man, but who now was sort of living out his final, his final, um, era with, uh, this woman that he loves that felt really resilient and interesting to us in a place that, um, there aren't a lot of joys. And, and so that was something that we wanted to embrace and, and watch and, and obviously having Sissy Spacek, um, and Scott Glenn together, uh, is something that we're, you know, really excited about and, and, and will continue to develop over the course of the season.
0: Oh, it's amazing to watch. Uh, like you said, I mean, we we don't really see these types of relationships on screen and to see these two heavy hitters, uh, you know, just share screen time, uh, you know, in, in in this previous episode, uh, you know, we just saw a nice quiet moment with the two of them in the kitchen, you know, and I could watch an hour long drama just about the two of them, uh, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Yeah. so with with his history, um, it, it kind of leads to a, a bigger question, you know, because Uh, you know, with with Alan, he was someone who in his uh, earlier life, you know, he had lost his wife, he had lost a son, um, and then by the time Needful Things comes along, he has, you know, started a romance with um, another character, Polly. So, you know, I I know for a lot of fans, we have been watching uh, Castle Rock, and um, there has been no mention of Polly. So when crafting the continuity of your show um are the books canon are is the are the movies canon um do you draw from more of a a shared cultural history between the books and the movies where you can choose what's best for your characters in the moment um so you're not necessarily um bogged down by um you know nitpicky continuity does that make sense
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great question. I mean, and, and it certainly, it applies, you know, beyond, obviously beyond the poly question all the way to, to, to larger aspects of the, of the mythology and the story building. I mean, I think that the way that you articulated it, um, is, is probably about right Mm -hmm. in that, you know, I think part of it, if you think about the, 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 um, incredible number of characters and the library that exists, um, the crossovers, the different ways in which we find King characters, the retcons, the, all of those different kind of aspects of, of what we've gotten for the last 50 years with his stories. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that, that, the, the truth is it's it was sort of for us um, in terms of canon like pornography, like we know it when we see it, okay, you know, yeah um, which is to say that that the I, I think that for us and, and I, I can talk a little bit about the Polly question as as a sort of example. Mm-hmm. Um, but we because we wanted to tell this great love story between Alan and and our original character, Stephen King inspired character, Ruth, um, it's sort of was necessary that we not have Polly be kind of part of that timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you, if, if, if you had, um, if somebody had said, well, maybe, maybe Pangborn should be, um, you know, a doctor instead of the sheriff, that would have definitely been verboten. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's sort of certain aspects that feel like they are incontrovertible, mm-hmm. um, in terms of who a character is. And as much as Sam and I both loved, you know, that romance and needful things and, and, and loved Polly too. Um, it, it sort of felt like something that for the for the purposes of the character and of the story we wanted to tell it felt like something that we could um, that we could sort of um, reimagine a little bit in terms of backstory, right. you know, I, that, that there are some pieces, of course, um, throughout the library that as a, as a sort of hint at, like that, that we would never touch, you know, that things that, that feel like you could, you, you would be in a lot of, um, trouble and sort of dishonoring who the character was. Um, mm-hmm. if you touched certain aspects of, of, if you made Warden Warden Norton into a good, a good guy, you yeah. know, yeah. There's just some things that are sort of essential to the nature or the or the experience of the reader that we would never that we would never touch. And then other things that where we felt that the that um, the continuity didn't have to be so kind of um, academically uh, hewed to, you know, that that we could take some liberties and that that would be. That would be okay for the purposes of storytelling as long as there was a reason why we why we had done it and we were preserving the kind of
0: essential aspects of the characters. So maybe a good way of maybe summarizing that um, and tell me if I'm wrong is the events of, let's say, the, the general events of Needful Things happened, whereas the specifics might not translate over into the show.
1: Yeah. I mean, Needful Things is kind of a good example because it was it it, both in terms of the poly question and in terms of the other events that Pangborn's involved in, you know, it sort of felt like to leave Needful Things entirely out of the continuity um, and the sort of story of of the fire and the devil and all of those things and given that it's sort of the, you know, as, as, as you know, well, the last, the quote, last Castle Rock story, it felt like leaving it out of the continuity entirely was, um, probably a mistake. And so that's why we, we sort of took a slightly liberal approach to exactly what the specifics of that backstory were in terms of Pangborn's
0: experience. Okay. Um, now with the, when, when you and, and Sam and the writers are, Crafting the episodes, um, you know, you're 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 creating these characters, and and they're existing in conversation and on paper. You know, at what point does the the casting begin? Um, because this is what you what you have been able to uh, assemble here, this is a, this is a murderer's row of talent. Um, Hmm. you know, I mean, are there any actors that, you know, you had hoped to get that you wound up getting, um, you know, are there any actors that are, are not necessarily changing the characters as they, as, as you have written them, but are imbuing them with different personalities or different characteristics. Um, so, I mean, just generally, if you could talk about the, 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 the casting of this show, because the, the talent with which, um, you know you're, you're able to work is almost unparalleled on television right now um, I mean from Terry Quinn to Scott Glenn to Sissy Spacek to Jane Levy to you know Andre Holland I mean everyone that shows on screen is not just a hey that's someone it's oh my god it's that person how did they mm-hmm. get that person you know so uh, you know any just just any thoughts that you have on the ca- on the casting um, yeah so. um, yeah I mean
1: it, 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 it's funny we we um, we you know it obviously like from the stephen king perspective we have kind of what um sam and i sometimes refer to as the alpha and the omega of stephen king stars we have sissy Spacek and bill um, scarsgard yeah first stephen king star and and bill scarsgard the last in a way yeah uh, uh, of, of, of recent days. Um, and, and, in a in a weird way, the, I, I think that there, there might be a tendency to look at the casting of the two of them, mm-hmm. sort of even beyond the question of, um, of how we've been so fortunate. And we, we honestly counted our lucky stars at every, with every casting, uh, turn. Um, but, but in terms of the Stephen King question, um, it was, it was really kind of an accident in a way, the, the, the sort of kingness of the casting. Um, and in, and in fact, um, you know, we, we had conceived of this role of Ruth Deaver of Henry's mother and, um, and Sissy was the first person that had popped into our mind as we were, as we were writing it. Um, and, and honestly, most of that was because of things, uh, like in the bedroom, Um, you know, performances of hers where she had haunted us in a, Mm -hmm. in a straight drama, not at all because of, because of Carrie. And in fact, um, as we sort of started in on the casting process, we kept having these conversations like, well, we need a sissy spacek type. And, and then, and then eventually uh, maybe by dint of, 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 Jay, the draw of JJ. Um, I think that she really liked the script. Then it was, it became not just, um, we need someone like Sissy's basic, but we need Sissy basic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, and so it was, you know, it was a total dream come true in that, in that way. Um, and, and in fact, I think that Sissy and Bill too, it's actually a very similar story you know, many decades separated, but I think both of them, if anything, the fact that it was a Stephen King project was, um, a bit of a challenge at first for them to sort of think through when they were thinking about whether they wanted to do it or not for bill, because he had literally just done it and the movie hadn't come out yet. So we mm-hmm. cast him in, um, in January or February of, um, of 2017. And so it had been filmed, but nobody knew whether how it was going to be good. Nobody knew that Bill was going to break out from it. You know, none of those things were sort of known. And, and so we knew Bill from his other work, but we didn't, we, we didn't like have a sense of what that movie would become. And so it was sort of a, almost, it was a pretty surreal experience in a way to watch that movie become what it became while we were in the writer's room Yeah, Uh, and, you know, writing for Bill because Pennywise, you know, it, 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 now it's become, as you've noted in your, in, in some of your podcasts, like now it's become this kind of back to iconic character in the public imagination, but that, that's a very recent development and it's one that came after we conceived of and cast bill. And so it really, it almost seems like we kind of, you know, assembled the Avengers of Stephen King, yes. but we really didn't intentionally do that. We just, um, we just offered the roles to actors that we loved and it kind of, um, happened that way. And then that extends to, to the rest of the cast, like, you know, um, obviously casting Henry, at the person at the center of the series was crucial. And so Andre was the first person that we ever talked to for, he was the first and only person we ever talked to about playing Henry. Oh, uh, okay. Be- because he, he was someone that we had loved so much from the Nick from moonlight, from, you know, his stage work like, and so it seemed like that sort of, um, um, strength and intelligence and, uh, mystery that, Andre carries with him in everything he does was perfect for the role. Um, and so he was actually the very first person that we went to and the very first conversation we had and the first person we cast, because it felt important to us to, to sort of build the cast around somebody who had the integrity and, um, chops and, and depth of someone like Andre. And so, um, you know, once you get once you get Andre and then, um, and then Sissy Spacek, um, the cards tend to start falling from there. Um, and so it was really, a, a, an amazing gift to then be able to go to Melanie and, uh, Melanie was somebody we had loved from her work in togetherness. And of course, all of her many films before that. Um, and, and so it was a, a, an amazing gift to have Melanie. And I think what, what kind of unifies all of them in a, in a way is that, that we feel like we cast people who don't know that they're in a genre story mm-hmm. you know it, it, like part of what our goal was was to tell a story that was that has some very clear genre elements to it um but that where the characters and the actors who are playing those characters um behave as it as normal human beings would behave you know um and and bring the kind of humanity that that we, um, that, that you or I would bring to a genre story if we saw ourselves kind of found ourselves dropped into the middle of one. And that was sort of a, a key component of this. Um, then you throw in Terry O'Quinn who, you know, in a couple of scenes can, um, can, uh, you know, sometimes be the most memorable thing in an entire show.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: And, and, and people like Jane Levy, um, and even Noel Fisher, of course, who is just such a genius and who, you know, has so much humanity to him, uh, even though he's in a part that, that, um, that obviously has its, has its, um, its, its end early in the season. Um, each of these actors brings something that is so grounding and wonderful to what they do. And that was sort of our, our, our highest priority, um, as we were casting.
0: Um yeah Noel Fisher uh, th- that scene would not have worked um nearly as well if if you guys hadn't been able to to cast Noel Fisher um because he is just able to to bring you know I, I think I said on, on on my review of the episode but he brings with him a a youth to him but he also walks with you know a world weariness behind you know beyond his years and that that specific combination you know you're able to 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 build the empathy for um for his soul which is ultimately in the balance and then it's it's not just with what happens in episode four it isn't just um uh, the mechanics of the scene I mean the, the, the choreography of the scene With Roy Orbison, um, the staging of it Everything about it is, is brilliantly done So on one level I'm watching it, it Purely um, impressed and amazed At how it is being conveyed to me But on you know the, the, the more emotional level I'm watching the destruction Of this Of this good man Who just wanted to do good And the, the, the corruption of whether it be the town Whether it be Shawshank um, and, and just seeing him you know, d- dissolve um, before my very eyes it was, it was heartbreaking and so much of that had to do with um, the casting and, and the performance you know, unfortunately we didn't get to see him uh, you know, too much but in what we did see of him uh, it, it conveyed who he was as a character and it brought that, um, that tragedy that's, that I imagine is going to, to have some ramifications in the, in the latter half of, of this season
1: yeah, he just really, you know, I think there's a, a soulfulness to Noel mm-hmm. that that is conveyed with every facial expression of his, and I think too, in terms of the Stephen King of it all, you know, I think part of what we were really Lucky with Noel to have and 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 it was always the conception of the character, uh, but that he really sort of imbued was this idea of the good man who who is um, brought into a situation that he finds himself unable to control and 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 the sort of um, evil that that inches into him. And I think too, even in that moment, we, we you know, I think the truth is you're not really. So supposed to be sure, whether you sympathize with him, mm-hmm. um, whether you, whether you like that he is in some hor- horrific way, you know, cleansing the prison of its ills mm-hmm. in, in its, his crazy way that he, he has come to, um, or has been brought to, you know? And so, um, and Noel, I think, strikes that perfect balance, even in that final moment when he says, I want to testify No, where you, you don't really know what to feel or think because he's, he is both incredibly, um, haunted and, and sympathetic in the same moment. Um, and that, that's all, all a credit to Noel and to the amazing direction of Mike Uppendahl who directed our first two episodes and, and number four, um, who's just a brilliant director and also had, you know, we had come to hint to Mike, um, he had worked on Manhattan, but, but, um, he sort of cut his teeth and really became the director that he is on Mad Men. And so it was, you know, I think that was, that was too, uh, a, a way of approaching this material in kind of a, a non-genre way, mm-hmm. um, was, was sort of finding a director who had, and he's done lots of genre work also, but who had really, um, uh, was really a, a director of dramas and a director of comedy and, and, and could
0: bring that kind of grounded sense to a genre piece. Um, so I, I know that we, we have, how many episodes are in the season? There are 10 episodes. In okay. This season. So we have more than halfway to go. Um, has there, I mean, when should we expect some news or updates on a second season? <laughs> um, Well, you know, we, we
1: always, um, had the hope, um, of, and dream of being able to continue to tell Stephen King stories. And part of the reason that we set up the show as an anthology where, you know, the first season will have a beginning, middle and end and, and, um, and in season two, we'll tell a new, a new story, a new Stephen King story, um, but hopefully one that in the same way that the books do kind of bends back on, uh, on the first season and on, and on the universe at large. Um, so, um, we are, uh, we are still very hopeful, um, and uh and thanks to the the fans and everybody who's been um you know podcasting and and writing about the show um we are more hopeful than ever that we will um that we will get that chance
0: uh to do a second season and and beyond um so i'm not going to press for any specifics but um do you have the 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 spine of what the second season would be the the idea that you would want to play with we
1: do yeah i mean i I think part, part of the process of, um, of taking on this gigantic project at the beginning was, um, mapping out what Sam and I saw as the kind of journey of the, of the series. Hmm. And so I certainly can't, um, I, I certainly can't, nor would I tell you what the last scene of season eight is, okay. but, um, <laughs> but, 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 I, you know, but part of it was that, of course, in the process of adapting the town and in the in the process of adapting um, uh, the universe at large, we explored a bunch of different options for what season one would be. You know, Mm -hmm. we we very quickly sort of came to the idea that this was what we wanted season one to to the direction we wanted season one to go. But in the sort of um, process of talking about the show and thinking big picture about it. There were two or three other ideas that were very, very close to making it into season one territory. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really chomping at the bit, um, and so we have um, a pretty good sense uh, for both seasons two and three what we
0: um, what we want to do, and um, and so we're just waiting for the green light. Oh, that's fantastic, and I'm I'm sure that you're going to get that green light. Uh, and lastly, um, because I've taken up a lot of your time and I really appreciate it, um, but I guess the last question is, uh, I, I've had uh, listeners uh, write in um, about advice uh, in, in regards to their own writing, um, and I, I haven't really been able to to give much advice to them about how to to go about that, in order to ensure that the work that is living inside them is able to uh, be translated onto paper or word processor. Um, so, what what advice do you have to give as someone that has made that leap from, you know, consumer of product and content to creator of content? How how what advice would you give to them uh, to, to help them along with their own journeys? It's
1: a great question. You know, um, people sometimes, um, especially when they're working on books, because I started in books, um, people will reach out to me and they will say, um, they will say, would you read my book? Would you check out what i what, what I'm writing? And I, um, I often, I often ask, um, the first question I, I always ask, in fact, is, um, is it finished? Mm-hmm. And, and, and about, I would say about 80% of the time, the answer is no, not yeah. yet. Um, and 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 by the way, I understand as a as as a writer, like the the instinct to when you're in the throes of the very difficult process of writing, um, to reach out and try to you know ha- give yourself sort of the promise of where this is all going. When 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 because writing is incredibly difficult. It's a craft like any other, and mm-hmm. it's a job like any other, and you have to just keep at it and keep at it. And so um, truly, and I know this, this may sound a little bit like a a cliche, but what, but my first piece of advice is to finish something Mm -hmm. is to, to finish something, no matter what you feel, how good or bad or mediocre you feel the first draft is because all of our first drafts are totally mediocre. You know, I mean, writing is rewriting and, um, and I think that, that in a way, the simplest piece of advice that I can give is to just push through and push through to the end to keep going until you have a beginning, middle and and an end and have something to work with that you can then share with people that you can then get criticism on. Um, and I think that would be the, 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 other, the other thing is, um, is, is find a group of people or people that you trust who will give you the honest truth about your work and people who aren't going to tell you that it's great, you know, it's, and everything is great and you, and you should be so proud of what you've done, even if that's true. Um, you know, I think that, that, that finding a, a, a person or a group of people who will give you honest, unbridled feedback, um, on that first draft is something that has been incredibly valuable to me. And, and I'm certainly, um, a person who, you know, for my friends and collaborators, uh, end up reading a lot of first drafts and giving thoughts, sometimes painful thoughts that people don't love, you know, but, but hopefully ultimately to the benefit of the work. And hopefully I, myself when I'm in that situation, um, take those notes well and, and try to really hear the music of those notes. Cause it, it, it's a, it's a hard thing and, and it's true at every level. Um, you know, even when you're the showrunner of a show, you're inevitably getting, um, notes from, from people, right. from from JJ, from the network, from the studio, from everyone involved. And you don't always take all of those notes, but usually if you can really listen to what the notes are and you start to hear a chorus, then that means that there's something that you can make better. And that that's the other kind of besides finish, uh, finish something and and just get it all the way to the end, no matter what state it's in, um, try to really hear the music of the notes that you're getting from people and, um, and embrace it and explore it. Even if you decide ultimately not to change it, really torture yourself with those notes to make sure that they're not, they're not right.
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, that's so helpful. Um, and so, you know, listeners, uh, please take, Dusty's advice because he knows what he's talking about. And here's one question that I I, I meant to ask earlier, just a very basic question. But what what's your favorite Stephen King work? <laughs>
1: well, you know, I I, I feel like um, there are sort of I, there are a lot of different answers to that question. I feel like I feel like among the the, the, the purists, maybe there's a, there are two camps. You know, there's the Dark Tower camp and the Stand camp. Yeah. Uh, and and I know you. I think you're. I don't know what your answer would be, but but or maybe I've heard you say. Maybe I've heard you say it at some point,
0: but well, for but, me, for me, uh, the my gateway uh, to Stephen King was was it, um, yeah. and I I read that when I was you know a, I think like the exact age of of the losers um, when they were children, and I was just struck by the authenticity um, that an adult man was able to capture childhood wonder and imagination as well as, as he did. Um, so from there he, he had me hook, line and sinker. So it uh, is, what is
1: it, what is it? He says, I have the heart of an eight year old boy sitting on the end of my desk. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, so for me, I, the stand is definitely my, my answer. Um, you know, I think p- part of it is that, um, that it, I, I love that the stand. And, and, um, this is something that I think is really a a sort of fascinating aspect of his work in general, but, but, um, but it's sort of on in full flower in the stand for me, which is that you start in one kind of story and you end up in a very different kind Mm -hmm. of story. Mm -hmm. And both of them are really interesting stories. And so that's something that I think like as a, as a person, um, even in Castle Rock this first season, like, like. As a person who is kind of fascinated by transformations within stories, like the idea that you could actually not only um, have a character transform, but literally have the kind of story that you're telling transform before the reader's eyes from a, you know, apocalyptic medical thriller to, uh, to a, uh, you know, um, a story of, of revelation and, and a, a, a sort of spiritual yeah. quest, um, is just a really amazing work of art to me. Um, and, and, and I love
0: every page of that uncut, unfiltered stand, <laughs> Yeah, that is. I mean, that, that's that's a really insightful look into what makes the stand tick. Um, and and um, you know, when you were saying that about you know the novel transforming into almost a completely different genre, um, I mean, he he just did it again. I don't know if you had a chance to read The Outsider, but um, it, it's yeah. it's the same thing. I mean, it, it yeah. begins one way, um, and the by the time it concludes, it's concluding a completely different story than you expected from the beginning. Um, the beginning of the novel when you started out uh reading it
1: yeah it's you know and that's something by the way that is a uh, it's kind of a hallmark of the twilight zone also right uh, you know that that transformation of genre even though you always know you're in the twilight zone right. um <laughs> but yeah i mean i think so that 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 i think he is something that he yeah he does he he does in a few in a few of his stories um and and the stand is is definitely my favorite of that of that type
0: Okay, Um, Dusty, so we've been talking for about an hour now. I can't thank you enough for taking the time um, out of the, the summer of your television show to sit down with me to, to discuss all things Stephen King. I, I really really appreciate it. Um, again, congratulations <laughs> on everything uh, that has come so far, and congratulations, what I'm sure um, will go towards the, the second half of the season. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what's in store for for Castle Rock and, and, and your fear, too.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for um, for doing your podcast. It has it has, um, it has uh, been in my ear since we started this process. And um, and 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 I really appreciate it. You got it, man. I'll be in touch. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye.